<laughs> Amen. Thank you guys so much. What an awesome service so far, huh? Oh, man. Where's Heather at? Is Heather here? Oh, man. That, like, blew me. I was like, I'm not going to be able to preach now. I'm going to be all... My goodness, I don't wear makeup. It'll be all over the place. You got... <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Let's, let's bring it in. Bring it in. So today, we're going to talk about Peter. Simon Peter. Cephas, the rock, right? We're going to talk about him today. Uh, more than that, we're going to talk about the gospel today. We're going to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ interacts with this amazing, wretched, <laughs> wonderful, fantastic guy and how the world was changed and how we are changed and how we can be inspired, you know, and say, hey, you know, if, uh, if he can do it, I can do it. What one man can do, another can do. Okay, but I kind of want to set the... Have you ever sat down maybe with your wife or a friend or another brother or sister to talk about something, and you get a couple minutes in, you're like, we're on different pages. Like, we're both talking about this subject, but my definition of this and their definition of this, so we need to back up, stop. Sometimes you got to just like, let's, let's do this next week. You know what I mean? Get on the same page. So today, I kind of wanted to make sure that we're on the same page when we're talking about Peter. And if we're on the same page when we're talking about Peter, then we'll be on the same page when we talk about the gospel and we talk about how it applies to us, okay? So, we are going to talk about how a relationship with a merciful, faithful, long-suffering, and benevolent, loving, powerful Jesus transformed and progressively sanctified. You know what that means? My wife hates when I use that word. She's like, I don't even understand it. Like, progressive sanctification. I say that, and she, like, turns off, you know. Have you seen that? And I, and I would do it. You're talking. You're like, hey, this is great. And then you see the person just power down. They're done. And you're like, come on. And like, you lost them five minutes ago. You know, they're, they're not there. What does it mean to be progressively sanctified? It's, it's what Heather said, right? It doesn't have, I got baptized, and I thought it would be, I would be gentle, and I would, I'm took it for me, not for Heather, but you know, I'd be, I'd be gentle, I would be amazing and faithful. It doesn't happen like that. Maybe for some people it does, you know, and people's experience are different. We're going to talk about that. Um, but Peter, I think, is such a beautiful portrait of progressive sanctification. Something that happens over time, bit by bit. There are changes that are made, and he, he makes mistakes, but you know what? That mistake, he was three steps farther to the miracle, you know? And, and we're going to talk about what that looks like for him and for us, okay? We're going to talk about how a brash, uneducated fisherman became a pillar of the New Testament church. That's awesome, isn't that? Like, it make you joyful? Like, hey, like, he went from here to there, you know, he went from a fisherman to uh, an apostle to an epistle writer to a martyr, you know, he, he, he really, that, that's quite an arc, you know what I mean, yeah. it's amazing, and I know that there are arcs in your life, and my life, and our lives, right, that we need to recognize and celebrate, because God is doing something that we can't even see a lot of the time, amen, amen. you with me, amen. this is the, we're, we're just warming up, <laughs> we're just, we're getting in there, so, more than that, though, we're going to talk about how Jesus patiently loved Peter, again, through all his fear and his doubt, so he could become the powerful man that God knew he could be. And the cool thing to realize is that God saw him as that all the time. He knew that was in there. God was never like, one day, Peter, you know. He did say some things sometimes about, hey, are you still thinking this way? And enough of that. He did certainly correct and rebuke Peter, as we're going to see but he always had faith in Peter. He always saw Peter through faithful Jesus' eyes, you know. So we're going to talk about how we can kind of see ourselves that way 
and other people. Amen? Amen. So, more than everything else, what we're going to talk about is how all those things build to give us an understanding of how God wants that same stuff for us, sees us that way, and even wants us to see other people that way. You know, see them faithfully. Talk about them as if they are what they haven't become yet, you know, and give them the same grace and mercy and long-suffering that Peter gave, that Jesus gave Peter and that he gives us. Amen? All right. Let's pray. You ready? Yeah. Let's pray. Dear God, uh, may you be the architect of, of this journey and, and all our journeys, God. Speak through me. May it be so much more about you than it is about me and, and my thoughts and my words. May the Holy Spirit truly take over and bring us the message you want us to hear, God. Speak through your word. Um, have us really take away the joy of the gospel and how it is transformative and how it does sanctify us, God. Thank you so much for that. Thank you that... Oh, we're not writing this, this grand story, this play that you are, that you want to do things we can't even think about, that we can't even imagine, but you empower us. Um, you give us access to God, to redemption. Thank you so much. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we've set the stage. We're going to talk about Peter, about Jesus, the gospel, okay? I want to talk about, I think, some misnomers real quick about ways we can see Peter. And again, remember, this isn't just about Peter. It's about you. It's about me. It's about other people, right? So sometimes Peter can be cast as this kind of like this knucklehead. And he is in some ways, right? And I am in some ways, and you are in some ways. But sometimes I cringe when I hear people talking about Peter. And I think that we can even juxtapose. People talk about Paul. Paul, oh man, Paul, Paul is so Paul and Paul, you know. I remember like a Peter, that, that knucklehead, you know. Oh, good, you know, if he made it through, I guess I'm probably getting up there, you know. And amen, like I'm not, I'm not at all bashing on Paul. I think Paul's amazing. But people are different, you know. I'm not you. You're not me. And there's things that you have that are great that God knew, foreknew, and called and appointed those times and places. And he's going to develop those gifts and the work that he started in you. He's going to finish. And it's going to be awesome, even more awesome than it is now. And now it's more awesome than it was. But there's, you know, we're different. And we need all of us, right? And so I kind of want to, like, see Peter rightly. And instead of sometimes we can think we can look at these things and, like, he, you know, silly guy, he got out of the boat. And what did he do? His fear, and he went down on this dowel, and isn't that awful? You need to be more faithful. And we do need to be more faithful. I need to be more faithful. But can we just talk for a second that he, he got out of the boat? Come on. Some people are in the boat not even thinking that they can get out of it. They're not, yeah. even, they're not even saying, hey, Jesus is coming. That's cool. When he gets here, I guess we'll see Jesus. You know, like, he's like, that's my Jesus. Lord, call to me, and I'll come out, you know? And he goes to him. Isn't that, like, amazing? And here's the thing I want to take away, too, from that, is that he, yes, he was overcome by fear. It was a pretty crazy situation, by the way. And in and, and true Peter fashion, he kind of went from zero to a thousand. You know, he was like, I'm faithful, faithless, and now I'm faithful. I'm going to jump out there. But Jesus called him. He went. And what did Peter say when he fell into the waves, when he started to sink? Lord, save me. He never lost faith that the Lord could save him, okay? So you can say what you want about him being faithless and fearful, and he was, and we are, but he never lost sight of the Lord's saving power in his life. He was never, he could have been like, I'm undone, I'm doomed, all is lost. He could have done a lot of things. What did he say? He said, Lord, save me. He knew that Jesus could save him. 
And he did. <laughs> and he did. And he kind of, you know, brushed him off and gave him a pat and said, you know, he went on to other things, to other adventures and some misadventures. But that, do you follow me? Yeah. I want to look at it that way. And I don't want to put a spin on it, but I want to look at it rightly. And I think sometimes we can put an unintentional spin. I don't think should be there sometimes. We just need to see it rightly so that we can see ourselves rightly and our fellows rightly. I don't want to look at someone in the congregation and, and make light of their struggle or, or, you know what I mean? You get me? Paint it in a way that's like, oh man, well, they, they keep coming back. You know, bless them. You know what I mean? Like, they are an overcomer. They're perseverant. And I don't know if I could walk a mile in their shoes, but I'm so God, glad that God brought them and knows them and has plans that I can't even see for them. You know, you know what I'm saying? So it's amazing to see him that way. He was the first called, by the way. Peter was one of the first called. Yeah. And he left everything. He went immediately. He just went. He had a wife and a business. And there's a lot of scholars that believe that he just wasn't a guy out grabbing fish. But the way that he writes and the way that he speaks... They say he was a, a pretty successful businessman. A lot of scholars believe that the way he was able to, his knowledge of Greek and his knowledge, he was, he was a man of the world. He, he had kind of like a little industry. It, was, it would be more, more apt, I think, to call him a, a captain of industry and, and doing you know, a business with the fish thing than just a, a guy, a bum on the docks. You know? And so he left that. He, he had a wife, by the way. <laughs> he had a wife, and he's like... Deuces, I'm going to go see Jesus. And some of you might be like, wow, that's so irresponsible. But that's, I see that trend progressively through the Bible. Remember Elisha? He was, he was plowing with 12 oxen, right? And he, Elijah comes and he slaughters those things and he goes, you know? And so I, he, he has a heart of Elisha, you know? Yeah. You, you, you see the, the juxtaposition there? Wow, it's really reckless. He has the heart of a prophet, you know what I mean? God comes and he immediately answers and I'm not going to point any fingers at Paul, but he had to get blinded on a road. You know what I mean? We're all different. You know what I mean? He had, it, took, it took Jesus intervening and blinding him and pretty much having him, like, you know, kidnapped by disciples almost. You know what I mean? You're blind with these people. They're going to take you to a place, and I hope that you're receptive when you get there. You know what I mean? It took him, took him the journey being blind to mellow out enough. You know what I mean? No, I'm just saying, we're all, we're all different, and we got to see each other that way, you know? So, amen. You want to get into some scripture, why don't you turn with me to Matthew 16, and we're going to pick it up in 13, we're going to drop it down to 23. Um, then we're going to talk a little more, I just want to give you some background, and we're going to talk a little more about some of that stuff, but I have one point today, and that point is, do we have our minds on things above or do we have our minds on the things of this world? And I think we kind of, you know, did some foreshadowing talking about how do we see people? How do we see ourselves? Are we seeing it through spiritual eyes, the way Jesus does? Or do we have these scripts that we kind of have that are so easy? You know what I mean? I don't remember asking for these scripts either. I didn't, you know, wake up and say, hey, I want a, a jaded script where, you know what I mean, I'm seeing things wrong. This kind of happens. We come by it honestly. You ever heard that? <laughs> we come by it honestly. Our parents or whatever. Or, you know, the, the mainstream world. Even the, the mainstream, you know, spiritual world, quote unquote, right? Gives us these kind of scripts that we follow. And so... I think today I really just want to ask that question as we read. And we're going to look at two stories, hopefully, depending on time, <laughs> me, brevity. Uh, but the question that we're going to kind of dig into as we look is, do we have our minds on things above or on the things of this world? So in Matthew 16, this is pretty amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to pick it up in 13 and we're going to drop it down. 
but what's the title there in your Bible? Mine says, Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. That's pretty cool, right? He was the one that confessed him first as Christ above the crew, right? So it says here, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And maybe this is your first time or you're, you're not super versed, but this is Matthew 16, so Jesus dies soon. This is, this is the end of the ministry. So he's been doing his thing with the disciples for a while now. And he says, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they say, some say you're John the Baptist. Others even say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So there's a lot of different, they just gave him, you know, a pretty wide range there of who he could be, who people were saying he might be. Simon Peter replied in verse 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Again, he's just jumping right out there. You know what I mean? Isn't that cool? He has a heart. Maybe some others are like, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of different uh, outcomes. There's a lot of different things that it, he could be. I'm just going to wait and see. But he just jumps out and says, you are the Christ. He declares that Jesus is Lord, right? Declares it. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, let's actually stop there. He what did he say? You're listening to the Spirit. The Spirit is revealing this to you. And I think we could all relate to this because if you know your Bible, in a couple of verses, Jesus says something else to him, right? He says, he says something else. And so it's funny that we can have these moments, right, of duality. You know what duality means? You know, the best of times, it was the worst of times. I'm a faithful guy. I'm, you know, getting rebuked and called Satan. There's, there's these swings that happen. But in these swings, knowing that we're like that, are we training our ears to listen to the Spirit? Sometimes it's an impulse and we just, we just know that we know it and we come out with it. But other times it's like a muscle. We have to work it and say, no, I'm going to listen. I'm going to be still and hear the whisper. I want to hear Jesus' voice above my voice, above your voice, above their voice. I want to hear what Jesus says, what the Holy Spirit tells me. And that's when I'm going to speak out. You know, I'm going to speak that out. So... In verse uh, 18, yeah, he says, So but my Father who is in heaven told you this, and I tell you, you are Peter, Petra, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Wow, I feel like we just preach on that, because gates are what? Gates are a defensive measure, right? Gates aren't, it's not like, and the catapults of hell will not destroy the... No, he's saying the gates of hell, the defensive measures of hell will not prevail against the advancing victorious church, you know? Isn't that fired up? That is awesome. That's like something to be joyful about, right? And maybe another, this is for free. Sometimes you just got to take the joy where you can because other things that you're four, four verses down and maybe not so joyful. But just enjoy that joy. Take it and be like, hey, man, the gates of hell will not prevail. And I get to feel that joy because I listen to the spirit, right? So here we go. He talks, I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. That's fired up. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I don't even know what that means. You know what I mean? Like, there's, I've read a couple commentaries, and I've, you know what I mean? I'm not totally ignorant to it. But that's like heavy. I feel like you could do a lot of like study into what that means and what it means for us. 
But he never would have heard that had he not listened to the Spirit, right? Had he not had his mind on things above. Had he, had he said, well, that's a, dude, you're the Christ. I don't know. That's pretty, pretty I'll, I'll, just, I'll just listen. You know what I mean? <laughs> See what he says. He's asking me. Maybe it's a rhetorical question, you know? No, he, he acted on the Spirit, and all this blessing was poured out on him. You know what I mean? That's fired up. So, 20, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. We've heard that before. Tell no one, right? So in 21, here's what I really want to like look at right here. So do you know who I am? Yes, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Right, that's awesome. In 21, he says, from, well, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. So do you see what's happening? He tells it, do you know who I am? Yes, Jesus is Lord. Good, then I can reveal the rest of my plan for you, you know? So we declare that Jesus is Lord, and that's like day one. That's like, what? okay, good, now here's the next step of the plan. Here's the next step of the plan. And the question is, as we hear the next steps of the plan, do we have our hearts on things above or on this world? Are we thinking like, okay, I want like the part of the plan that I'm comfortable with, that I can control, that sounds easy, you know what I mean? Is that what we want? Are we, someone I heard once in, in this lesson, I, I don't remember the last lesson, I remember this part, he said, it's not a pleasure cruise that we're on, we're on a battleship, you know what I mean? It's, we're on a destroyer, and it's probably an old tug, we're taking hits, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's an adventure, a dangerous adventure, and are we ready to trust Jesus? He knows, I know, he knows where he's going. I don't really know, but he knows, and Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm along for the ride. You know, I don't get to control or dictate how this thing happens. And if I go down in the waves, what do I cry out? Jesus, save me! <laughs> save me, Jesus! Yes. And he will, right? Yeah. Wow, he will. So we see that here. He's telling them the next part of the plan. And in, I won't make you turn over, but in, in Mark, in the Mark account, he says, and he told them plainly. So it wasn't like he was like riddles and like, hmm, I wonder what he means by, you know what I mean? He's telling them plainly, I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. I have to die. That's part of the plan, right? So he tells them the plan. And what is Simon's response? Hey, man, Lord, whatever you say, no matter how hard it sounds or seems, I trust you because your ways are not my ways, God. What did he say? He said, this is, trips me out. Imagine if Glenn's giving a lesson, and I'm like, maybe it's a leader's meeting, or the couch, you know, at the Petruzzi house, and Glenn's giving a lesson, and he says something, you're like, um, can I just see you for a sec? Can, I just, can we just sidebar? And you go, go to the next room, and you're like, surely not, Glenn! Surely that is not, and start rebuking him. You know, that's like, I can't even, I'm a pretty, pretty wild guy, but I, I can't even, like, think about doing that. That's like so, I might have a mean face on her, you know what I mean? Everyone in the room might know I'm struggling, but I'm not going to, like, stop the meeting. You know what I mean? I've been there before. I was called out in a Bible study. I, I got sidebarred, and they're like, if you don't wipe that face off your face, you're gonna, I'm going to tell you to leave. You know what I mean? And so, amen, like, sometimes it's a struggle, but he stops. Hey, hold on. I just got to talk to Jesus real quick. Come here, Jesus. Surely not, Lord. So what are we seeing here? We're seeing that Peter, when he is faced with God's plan that he doesn't understand, he autopilots. He what? He puts his mind. It's like, it's, and it's not even, I don't think he was thinking, I'm going to trust on my own. You know what I mean? But he just did it. He just, and that's why we have to train ourselves to think faithfully, right? To, to know that he's in control. I'm like, ooh, this is uncomfortable, but I know, I know that he's here. I know he's in control. I know he has me. And again, if I fall, I can call on him and he will save me, right? 
but he just kind of autopilots, has this thing on the mind of this world. And he took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And I don't think his heart was bad. I don't think he had a wicked heart that was like, I'm going to prevent Jesus from drinking the cup. Mwahaha. That wasn't what he was doing, right? He wasn't wahahaing, but he was getting in the way of what Jesus wanted to fulfill, even in his own character, you know? If that's the trippy thing about when we're obstinate, when we're not faith-filled, when we're not being surrendered, when we're not cultivating a heart of surrender, is that he's messing it up on different levels, I and mean, he doesn't even know it, you know what I mean? He's inciting, he's tempting Jesus, he's probably sowing weird stuff in the rest of the fellowship, like, sidebar, why is he sidebarring? Wow, you know what I mean? Maybe that is weird for Jesus to say, what's going on? And then, he's preventing the work in his own character that Jesus wants to, you know what I mean? Now, it's not big enough to stop Jesus from doing any of that stuff, but he's just kind of adding another, you know, Another loop-de-loop-de-loop to the plan. But God's bigger than that, and amen, he's glorified through the whole thing. But isn't that wild? Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Ooh, he just called him literally like six verses earlier, right? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. So sometimes there's ups and downs, you know, but we largely determine that stuff, you know, like there are going to be troubles and, and hardships, but we're a lot of times more in control of that stuff than we even realize. So, amen. He says in here, and this is my point, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I just want to tell you that God has a plan for you. God has a plan for me more than I even realize. And the question is like, when we come into contact with the gospel, how does it change us? How is it changing you? How is it progressively making you different? You know, and if that's not happening, I don't want to guilt you out, but it's like, I need to re-engage. You know what I mean? I need to really Whatever it is, go on a walk or, or, or read about, you know, God's wild, radical love for me because he loves you enough to take you right where you are, right in, in the midst of our crazy, worst rebellion. He loved us then and we were enough for him then. But he knows that we have to be sanctified, you know, and he wants to present us perfect, you know, before a holy God. And so we got to kind of be on that altar still. What's the hardest part of being a living sacrifice? Being on the altar, you know? We gotta be on the altar. So, amen. Um, It's a pretty wild thing when we think about that. But we have to be willing to continue to be submitted. Are you with me? Yeah. All right. We're gonna do one more. I'm looking at the clock. We're gonna do one more. Jesus has a plan that is so much bigger than our plan. And again, I ask you the question, are we getting in the way sometimes? Are we, are we thinking we know better than Jesus without even, you know, consciously saying that? So turn with me over to Matthew 26, 50, okay? And we're going to kind of pick this up and just find this here. So we're in the garden now, right? We're in the garden, and this is a wild text. I really wanted to, to hit on this. And, and, and my point kind of here is that we don't have it all figured out sometimes. Sometimes it's not a pretty picture. Raise your hand if you like pretty pictures. They're just kind of 
This is what God, God wants me to do, A, B, C, and D. And then the, the result is E, and I love Jesus, you know. But it's not always like that, and sometimes it's confusing. But if we cultivate that attitude of, hey, I don't really get it, you know what I mean? Because I'm, you know, my mind is like a thimble compared to the amount of, of mystery and wonder that God can even, you know, express in a moment, you know what I mean? Like, we can't even fit his glory into our brain sometimes, you know? But do you believe he's doing something that's bigger than you? And do you want his plan instead of your plan, you know? And even check this out, because he has a plan for your life, he has a plan for your neighbor's life and your mother's life and the people that you'll baptize you haven't even met. He has those plans. But do you believe that God has a plan for how he wants to be glorified? You know what I mean? He, and you can call it whatever you want, but he wants to be glorified and he wants to be glorified a certain way. And he's working to accomplish that goal. And your question for you, my question for me is, am I standing in the way of that? Or am I just like, yeah, man, like however you want to do it, I want to glorify you. I might not even get it, but I'm not going to go on my strength. I'm going to go on your strength. And that's something we develop over time. <laughs> you know, that's the joy of that is that God's like not down on us. I want you to feel empowered that God knows where you will be and calls you rock long before you are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, I'm rock-headed. I'm not, you know, I'm not a rock. You know, I'm, not, I'm not like a strong foundation rock. I'm like a, like a rubble in the mind rock. And God's like, my, my grace is sufficient for you. you know, I'm going to bring you somewhere else. So check this out. We're in the garden, okay? And what happens here? We're in the garden, and in verse 50, um, you know, he's getting betrayed. Jesus says to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who was with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest. Who's that? That's Peter. <laughs> Simon Peter. Now, some of you might be like, if you read a little bit, you'd be like, hey, Charlie's going to say he shouldn't have swung that sword. And that's not cool because who gave him the sword? Who told him to bring the sword? Jesus, Jesus did, right? Jesus is talking just a little while ago at the Last Supper, and he says, listen, there was a time when I sent you out with the 72, and I said, don't bring your sandals, don't bring your bag, don't bring your sword, just go. And, and Jesus did it to prepare them, to kind of get them ready for what was to come, right, to stretch their faith. But he said, now, I'm telling you, a time is coming, it is indeed here, where you should bring that coin purse. And if you don't have a sword, what? Sell your cloak and get one. Whoa, what does that mean, right? I don't know, but does God know what it means? I do know a little bit. So he goes, sell your cloak. And the disciples say, what do they say? There's two swords here. And Jesus says, that's enough. Bring those. Do you know why he did that? Why did he tell them to bring two swords? (laughs) Partly. It was to fulfill prophecy in Isaiah that said that he would be counted among the rebels. You know? So Jesus is be like, whoa, Jesus is doing stuff we don't even understand. And you can get like confused. And some people are like, I believe that when Jesus took the sword from Peter and told him enough of this, he, he disarmed all the disciples. And there can be all kinds of things that we can talk about and struggle with and say, well, why would he tell him to bring it and then tell him to put it away? And that those by live by it, die by it. And that's confusing. It is confusing. Yeah. But God has a plan for how he wants to be glorified. He knows things that you don't know. You know what I mean? And so just... Try to obey and do your... I'm not saying I would have done any better. 
I probably would have done worse. I probably would have chopped off Malchus's head. You know what I mean? And can we just talk about that? Do you think he was swinging for his ear? Do you think Peter was like, eh, lining it up, lining the shot up? No, he's not Zorro. This is Simon Peter. You know what I mean? He's like, ah! He just goes for it. And Jesus is like, oh, praise God, he's not a good shot. You know what I mean? And, you know, and he, was still, he was still glorified in that. Poor Malchus. What a hard night for Malchus. You know what I mean? That's rough. But so... What we see here is that Jesus is doing things, and even in, in the other, I was going to take you over to Mark, but in Mark what happens is he's say, they, they're taking him, right? And he says, hey, are you here for me? You know, and Jesus is such a, I love Jesus, by the way. Like, if you, again, if your relationship with that isn't like, if you can't look at that and say, Jesus is just so cool, like, you've got to read it again. Because Jesus is like, am I some sneak thief that you come to me at night? Like, I've been in the temple. I've been around. Where have you been at? You come for me? Like, you know, Jesus is like bad you know he's a bad dude he's like cool he tells them i'm right here but if you're here for me let the disciples go why did he say that another prophecy right it said i didn't lose any of the ones that you gave to me so again you're like why is he saying this why is he doing this he has a plan all we kind of have to do is grab on and be like don't leave me jesus i don't know what you're doing but take me with you you know save me jesus so the point here is I've cut off more ears than I can even. I've cut off a few heads in my day, okay? I've made some mistakes. There's people here that have forgiven me and have helped me, and I'm on this road of progressive sanctification. But the message is, through it all, like, did, was Jesus' plan for Malchus to lose an ear and to thereby be glorified? Maybe. I think Jesus' real plan was to fulfill the scripture, the prophecy, right? And like that's the way that it happened because of who Peter was, you know? And we could talk about the dynamics of that, and I'm not, whatever. But the point is, Jesus is going to accomplish his goal, his goals. And we kind of like those choose-your-own-adventure things. We kind of decide how that happens, you know? We can go along easily and be like, hey, cool, you know? Like, oh, wait, well, you know? And it's that balance between we want to jump out of the boat, we don't want to cut ears off. So I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying, do we believe that Jesus is in control? And do our, is that voice in the back of our head, our kind of faith voice saying, hey, where's my head at? I know this is confusing and there's a lot of things going on. I have feelings and I have anxieties and fears and doubts and, and depression and all this stuff. But am I thinking about things above or things below? You know what I mean? Am I thinking of just what I can see and how it affects me? Surely not, Jesus. I can't lose my teacher and my best friend and my whole way. What happens to me if you go? Surely this will never happen to you. Are we doing that? Or are we like, oh, okay, you're going to have to get me through it then. Lord, help me. I'm going to have to be perfect. That's the beauty of it. But Jesus is doing something bigger. And are we on board with that? Or are we like, Jesus, take the wheel? Or are we kind of like white knuckle on that steering wheel? Like, yeah, Jesus, you're in control. Drive the car. And he's like, okay, like, I, I guess I can drive the car once I pry your, you know, <laughs> hands off the wheel, you know? So are we making it easier for Jesus to, to guide us? Or are we making it harder? And he'll still do it. He'll be like, all right, he'll still do it. He's not going to be like, I'm out of the car because, you know, that's not how Jesus is. But are we fighting it more than we need to fight it, you know? Are we making it more complicated, and, you know? I think that I can look back on a lot of my life and say that I complicated things a lot more than I needed to. And amen, God was glorified, and there are friendships that I have and lessons I learned because of my ear-chopping ways. But, <laughs> but <laughs> I want to go to a different place. And I read this really cool part of a commentary that said, there was no, when Jesus said enough of this, what did that mean for them? What did it mean for the disciples? What does it mean for us? And other things that Jesus wants to say, you say, enough of this. 
sheath the sword up, man. And someone else said, you know, there's no place for swords in that garden. Gardens are places for pruning hooks. You know what I mean? And that, like, you can take that however you want. But there are things that I think God wants us to lay down. And you're like, but you gave me this sword. or You know what I mean? I, I was always taught to carry the sword. And is it time to give some things up? Is it time to, to enough of some things? Is it time to say, hey, you know, I'm going to see myself and my fellows a little differently. I'm going to have a little more grace and know that I may not always understand why it looks like what it looks like or why this guy's doing what he's doing or why I feel the way I feel. But Jesus is in control of it all, you know. And until I figure it out, you know, I'm just going to trust that he knows what's going on. Sometimes that trust means jumping. Sometimes it means staying, you know. But we can figure it out together. And I think the cool thing is that if you ask him, you know what I mean? Like we see that in Peter's relationship with Jesus when he asks him, hey, tell me to come to you and I'll come, you know. And what happened, happened, you know. Truly not. My last thing I just want to say is that when they're talking in uh, on the beach that day, when Jesus is resurrected, and he's making, how cool is that, by the way? The first thing Jesus does is make fish for his boys. You know what I mean? He goes and cooks some dinner. Hey, a breakfast. Hey, come on in. You know, and Peter, Peter jumps out of the boat. Right? Who got there first, the boat or Peter? I'm thinking the boat did. But so he, 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 you know what I mean? That's the way stuff works, unless they're like right there. But so anyway, he goes on shore, he's talking to Jesus, and he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? He says, yeah, yeah. Peter, do you love me? Of course I do, Lord. I love you. Peter, do you love me? And what does he say? What does Peter say? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't call him a liar, right? He says, no, you don't love me, Peter. If you loved me, uh, uh. he says, okay, if you love me, then feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And so the point of that, again, is that like, he just needs a little help to get his mind on the things above. You know what I mean? He just needs to be rattled up a little bit and be like, you know I love you. Good then do the good works I prepared for you to do, you know? Go forth and be that epistle writer. Be changed more and more. Take the correction when Paul gives it to you, you know what I mean? And come back, and it's not, it's no shame to get corrected. It's, it's a shame if you don't repent, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's no shame to leave. It's a shame if you don't come back. It's no shame to be scared, but there's glory in being a martyr, you know what I mean? There's glory in saying, why, well, I'm not, worthy to do this the way Jesus did, you know what I mean, do me this way, do me that, you know, that's, there's glory there, and it all happened because he progressively, over time, trusted Jesus, and Jesus changed him more than he could even know, more than, than we even understand, he wants to do that for you, he wants to do that for me, um, thank you so much for letting me share. Yeah.